Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. Hi, Michael. I'm so glad that you're here talking with us today. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about some pretty tough stuff. Um, We're going to talk a lot about the word aggression and what does it mean? Um, Are dogs actually aggressive and sort of the concept that there is a range in behavior that we see in all dogs. And I want to sort of pick apart a little bit about what is within the normal range and what should families really start to worry about. And then later on, we'll talk about how you make some hard choices about what to do about it when that happens. But before we dive in, can you please introduce yourself? Well, I'm Michael Baugh. Um, you mentioned that. And um, I, I work, um, you know, primarily with families whose dogs have had some sort of aggressive behavior um, or on the flip side, dogs who, you know, behave timidly or fearfully, you know, sort of the, the dog that we don't see come out from under the sofa, for instance, you know, when a guest is over. So I have a great deal of respect for you know, various trainers who teach you know tricks or teach for film and television or or teach agility or fly ball, um, that's not what I do or the other trainers in my group do. Um, we do dogs who you know behave offensively, um, and uh, that's our sport. You know, um, yes. so that's that's the work that we primarily do. And I work out of out of Houston, but we also see clients. You know, in this particular age, especially, we we do. Um, online video consultations. We've had clients in suburban Washington, DC, Washington State, uh, California, rural Missouri. So all points in between. Okay, that's really good. I I like that um, you mentioned the different types of dog trainers that are out there because I am a certified professional dog trainer, but I love the behavior aspect. And so what you focus on speaks to my heart of helping dogs feel differently than they currently feel. And with dogs who are demonstrating aggressive behaviors, there's a lot of feelings going on. So why don't we start there? Why why do dogs do these kinds of things that people perceive as aggressive? What is that even coming from in the first place? Yeah, I mean there's a there's a there's a fair amount to unpack there. Okay. Right. Um you know the if you're looking for kind of like a textbook definition, and I like this definition, you know, of of aggressive behavior, and aggressive behavior is um, behavior that uh, does harm or intends to threaten harm in order to make something else in the environment go away, like get further away from me, or to make something in in the environment stop. Right. So if somebody ran a red light in front of you, you would slam on your brakes and honk on the horn. Maybe not a 
we may not call that an aggressive behavior, but it is a behavior in order to make that thing stop or swerve away from me. Um, if somebody, uh, you know, is um, standing in a checkout line, you know, a little bit, you know, uh, closer than six feet and they got their mask hanging down showing their nose, you might give them a little look. Um, that could also be considered a, a behavior intended on making them move further away um, or have some awareness. Um, so that's really what it's about with our dogs. So, you know, if there's a, uh, if there's a, if there's a dog that um, you approach and it kind of looks at you and it gets a kind of a glassy look in its eye and maybe shows its teeth, um, we might say, oh my, that's an aggressive behavior. And in fact, we, we might look a little bit deeper and say, well, what's the function? What's that dog trying to communicate to me? What kind of effect on the environment is that dog, you know, even subconsciously destroyed, trying to throw out there, which is basically like, hey, dude, stop. Mm -hmm. you don't come closer. Right. Or would you please go away? So that's kind of, there's, you know, there's different ways to teach that to clients, but that's kind of, I, I like to go there. You know, I like to, I like to help. I like to teach people that this behavior, although unwanted, is within the bell curve. It's not abnormal. It's, this is how our dogs, you know, communicate with, with us. Mm -hmm. I like that you talked about that being a communication because I feel that dogs do the best they can to let us know how they are feeling as my puppy is doing in the background at the moment. Yeah. Sorry about that. Don't worry um, about it, yeah. But the idea that they will warn us and that what we call aggressive behavior typically doesn't come out of nowhere. So you probably hear this a lot, and I know that I hear it a lot because I deal with families with kids, is they say <laughs> things like the dog bit the child out of nowhere. And what I think that communicates to me is that there were some warning signals that were missed between the moment when the dog started to feel uncomfortable and when the bite happened. So perhaps the dog moved its body in a way where, like you said before, it looks away or it stares or it lifts its lip or it growls. And those are all really important steps along this ladder of amping up before the bite happens, right? So it may feel like it's coming from out of nowhere, but it's really because people don't know what they don't know and they're missing the warning signs. So the warning signs we should celebrate, right? Because yeah. that prevents something dangerous from happening. Is that so? Yeah. I mean, Michelle, I think you've, you've, I think you've got it absolutely right. You know, and if we're lucky enough to get those warning signs, yes, we should celebrate. Those can be points of entry for us, but here's the deal. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, dogs, you know, living in a household with, with children or, um, or, or babies or toddlers, you know, any, any number of those developmental stages. First of all, the dog may not give protracted warning signals, right? So, you know, if, if, we, if, if we're working, if you and I are working with a couple who, you know, who, who, just had a baby who started to move or mm -hmm. sit up or scoot. Well, number one, that couple, if it's their first child, it's their first go at it as well. But the other thing is, is that, you know, maybe they've lived with, you know, Charlie the Terrier 
for four and a half years. And Charlie the Terrier has been a joy and never had a problem and never shown any kind of those uh, of those signals. Well, guess what? Charlie's in a brand new world, mm-hmm. right? So everything's different. So we may, we're just getting the first sort of read on how Charlie deals with those situations. And he may not deal with it by giving us what we call you know, protracted, a drawn out sort of like, and now I'm going to give you a dirty look. And now I'm going to show you my teeth. And now I'm going to growl at you. No, no, no. I mean, Charlie may give a couple of quick ones and then say, you know what, little one, get out of here and give him a little pop or something. And, you know, I think the main takeaway from this is that, you know, behavior aggressive behavior, but any kind of behavior, but let's just say aggressive behavior. It's not like some demon that lives inside the dog and then all of a sudden it comes out. Behavior is an interaction with the environment. It's a conversation with what's happening in the world around them. And so if Charlie the Terrier has never had a conversation with a room with a baby or a toddler in it, this is the first go. And so your client could say, my dog has been sweet and has never been aggressive for his entire life. And it can very much look like this came out of nowhere, right? Because this is the first conversation that that dog has had with this particular situation. So my heart goes out to clients who say this came out of the blue and I get excited to share with them and teach them, you know, what we just discussed right now, which is, yeah, and this is a situation that we've never dealt with before. So it's new to you and it's new to the dog. And yes, there may have been warnings, but they were probably too quick for you to catch, you know, or yes, the dog may have given um, sort of these ritualized aggression, you know, the equivalent of the dirty look in the grocery store, um, but we missed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, this is a two species process. We're working with your dog and we're working with you and there is no shame. You are not a bad person for having missed these signals, especially the ones that came really quick, you know, like little micro, um, like, come on, like, you know, if I see my dog's little whiskers kind of pull forward and a little micro, micro expression or something Uh like, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, I, but I don't expect my nephew, you know, my adult nephew, to see that, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. So. That, I'm glad you said that because I think there's, um, parents have a lot of guilt that they miss things and that they saw the dog bite the child and they feel so bad about that. You had me at parents have a lot of guilt, right? Period. Like, I know. <laughs> and so it makes it a million times worse. And yet, like you just said, some of these reactions that the, the dog might give were subtle and so quick that even if you're not facing the exact right direction, you could miss them. So it's so easy to have an accident happen. It really is. It is very easy to have this happen. So let's say it does happen. Okay. Um, hopefully it's nothing super bad. Maybe it was, maybe the dog did what we call a muzzle punch where it pokes you, pokes the child with its nose or its teeth, or um, maybe it was a nip and not a dangerous bite. And the family is thinking, okay, what do we do next? How, how do we work through this? Is it something that we now need to be terrified for the rest of everyone's lives? Is this something we can work through? Um, so let's assume this was not a really dangerous incident, but we all consider it a, 
a, an eye opener. I'm going to take off my rose colored glasses and realize that everybody has feelings and the dog will express <laughs> him or herself. What do we do? Like, what should a parent who is feeling ah, totally overwhelmed or scared do next? Well, <clears throat> you know, we're trainers. So the, the answer is always going to be like, well, let's, let's address this from a trainer's point of view and, and, and work with the, the, you know, the elements that we have that we can work with. And so I'll, I'll go down that path, you know, if, if, if you, if you want to, but I think, and, and I will, I'd be happy to, you know, but I think in the moment, you know, when in, in that moment where our sort of like Disneyfied, hmm. a Disneyfied impre impression of what we thought life was going to be like with our dog, who we had before our child and we love, um, what that relationship between our dog and our child was going to look like. We had this image in our brain, like, oh my gosh, we have this dog who we just think is adorable, who is our is our first sort of surrogate child. Yeah. And now we're gonna and now we're gonna bring our real child, you know, into the world. And honey, isn't it gonna be isn't it gonna be wonderful? We're gonna have a baby and a dog and and a fireplace and a new You'll house. Friends. Yeah. And it's gonna be wonderful. Right. So the moment that that gets cracked or shattered, um, you know, if I was going to give one piece of advice, it would be, um, um, you know, first of all, you know, move the child away from the dog, but that's, that's, that's kind of obvious. Right. But, yeah. but I mean, after that, you know, is don't panic, like take immediate action, make sure that your dog and your child are safe. And, and I would say, keep them separate for a period of time until we can definitely catch our breath. And then we get somebody in to help us. Um, but I don't know that it's cause for like, I must, um, you know, I must panic, you know, and, and, and that's what we do as, as humans. <clears throat> and what I would imagine, um, you know, parents sometimes do is that I need to make an immediate decision about how this is going to play out for the rest of our lives yes. right now. Yes. Um, I see that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, what do we do from a training perspective? You know, so again, safety first. So in the moment, um, you know, for, for a, uh, a, a period of time, we keep the two living beings in our home separate. So everyone can cool down. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if we, you know, are able to identify, you know, and this is what trainers do. We look at, we look at a, a, a couple of key factors It's sometimes hard to remember in hindsight, but what happened right before the dog bit the child? What was going on in the room? Where was the dog? Where was the child? Where on the child's body did the dog make contact? Was it on a hand, on an arm, on a face, on a head? Um, I see a fair amount of like right here, mm -hmm. um, which I can imagine, you know, probably hurts. Mm -hmm. um, what was the setup? All right. And, and, and then can we, can we avoid that setup? Like, can we not, you know, it's like, oh, it hurts doctor when I do this. Okay. Well then don't do that anymore. Yes. Yes. Right? Can we, can we make that not happen? Um, and, uh, and then we, and then we start looking, you know, like, can I bring a trainer in? Can I bring a behavior consultant in who is, um, 
you know, qualified and um, and able to help with these particular issues and and start working, you know, start working on a on a plan. A lot of people protest when I talk about management and they say, well, I don't always want them to live apart, that they can't always be separated. They can't always have a gate in between them or it's not convenient. And there's a story we tell ourselves about, like you said before, about this Disney image of what we wish we had. And what we wish we had is that our dogs and kids are best friends and everybody is happy and safe. But in the meantime, we have to take actionable steps to make sure that that will happen down the road when they both learn to trust each other again. So barrier gates, changing the scenario of our life in the beginning is, is really going to be important, but then we do have to do a little bit of training in there to feel more confident. You know, I love getting together with trainers, you know, over a cup of coffee or a bottle of wine, you know, we could have scheduled this later in the day. So we could all have a glass of wine when we chat, we'll but do it again. Right. <laughs> but I, I always sort of, you know, my, my ears sort of prick when I hear um, anybody, and I, you didn't, this wasn't you, you didn't say this, but my ears always prick a little bit when I, when I hear people sort of discuss managing the environment or managing the behavior as if it's just something that we do in the short term, like a Band-Aid. Uh-huh. Because what I teach my clients and what I found, you know, over the past, you know, 22 years. And <laughs> what I found with my own dogs is that managing behavior is part of the behavior change process. It is, it is not just, um, oh, all we did is management. Okay. It's part of the process. Um, you know, my, um, you know, if, if we had, if we had workmen coming to the house today, for instance, um, my dogs would be up here in the office with me mm-hmm. and they would be quiet the entire time. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, again, over a couple glasses of wine, we could argue, well, that's just behavior management. And I'm like, well, no, it's my solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And it is the long-term solution to the problem. I love having my dogs up here with me. I don't want them downstairs barking or getting underfoot or doing anything with the, with the workers. So, right. and... And um, the more um, the more our dogs are able to rehearse a behavior, in other words, the more they practice a behavior, the better they're going to get at it, the more likely the behavior is to recur again, and the stronger perhaps even the behavior is going to become. So when I give that little speech, sometimes people think, well, like, yeah, I mean, if we practice coming when called, that's going to get really good. And they're going to get really strong at it. And if I practice asking them to lay down on their bed, that's going to get really strong and they get really good at it. And if they practice biting your kid or, (laughs) or chasing him and nipping at his heels when he's old enough to start running around, they're going to get good at that too. Right. But if they're, in another room behind the baby gate with the chew toy or hanging out with their doggy buddy or cuddling with the cat or whatever, when the house is at the you know peak of its craziness, um, then they're not getting good at that behavior. They're not getting good at harassing the kids and you know, and they're not under that level of stress. So I don't know. I just think management is just so so very, very not just important, but 
it's it's also um, really really good training. You know, it's really it's a good valuable part of the training process. And I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but if if I had to choose between I'm going to keep my dog behind a baby gate, or I'm going to have my dog go live with someone else. Oh yeah. I'm going to keep my dog. Right. And they're going to be behind the gate and we'll, we'll work that out. Right. Um, you know, and, and there's probably other things that we can do. The other thing is, is that your toddler is not going to be a toddler forever. Yeah. You know, your toddler is going to grow up and your dog right. is still going to be around. And every developmental stage that your child goes through is like a brand new entity for your dog anyway. Yes. You know? So anyway. No, I love that you said that because it reinforces a lot of what I do with clients um, in terms of using management as a lifestyle strategy, really. Yeah. I mean, we we don't want our dogs to practice running out the front door when we open it for a delivery, right? And so we can set up we can set up barriers to prevent them from practicing those behaviors. We can put a leash, you know, on the dog when grandpa comes over so the dog doesn't knock over your aging parent or whatever. There's a lot of these kinds of things that are management, but they solve a problem and allow a dog to practice being good and doing the right sets of behaviors. So let's move from here a little bit. Um, and I would love to talk about some hard choices. So you mm -hmm. talked about panic and there is a lot of panic. I get calls from people who are crying, calls from people who, um, I got one the other day, in fact, someone in hysterics saying, do I have to put my dog to sleep because she bit my daughter? And I said, no, your dog doesn't have to die for making a mistake. You know, let's talk about the circumstances. Why, why did your dog bite your toddler? And what could we do to prevent that interaction from happening so that your dog felt that it needed to bite your toddler. Um, so there are dogs that aren't wired right. It doesn't happen that often, but there are dogs that don't use gentle corrections to children that are more assertive, that maybe bite and shake or don't let go or go kind of beyond what you and I would consider maybe the normal range of puppy, you know, teething or whatever. Mm -hmm. So can we just talk a little bit about this? Um, that yeah. how does a family know what is manageable? Because I have to say that as much as I love management, which I use at my own house everywhere, even though I don't have little kids anymore, I have an old dog and a young dog. So I need to manage things. Um, management sometimes fails, especially if there's kids in the house who forget to latch a gate. So maybe you have a baby gate, but somebody just doesn't make sure it clicks closed, or maybe somebody forgets to close a door or whatever, and an accident could happen. So how do we, how do we gauge the seriousness of this and whether or not we need to evaluate if this is the right dog for your family? I know this yeah. is a giant question. I know yeah, that. it is. So, it is a big question. And well, let me just say this first. So, um, you know, on the off chance that we're reaching, uh, you know, that that one couple or, or, or you know, the handful of people who, um, you know, are able to hear this part of it, that 
and not that it's about me, like you don't need to make me feel good, but I will share with you, like it is a gift to my week, to my day, when somebody calls and says, um, we're having a baby um, and, and it's due in seven months. <laughs> me too. And, and, <laughs> And we've had, you know, and we want to get, we want to get ready as a family and, and include our dog in that, you know, and, and, you know, or our dog has had some issues that, you know, we indicate that we, you know, thinking, indicate to us that there might be some problems. Can you help us with this? And then we can start doing, you know, evaluation ahead of time, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a gift to us, of course, but it's really a gift to, to yourself. If you can, if, if you have that awareness, reach out you know, as soon as you're comfortable and ready to, to do that. I know, I know parents are taking a lot of classes and they're getting ready for this change in their lives in a lot of different ways. This should be one of the ways that they're thinking about uh, getting, getting the family ready, you know, right. and their dogs included. So, you know, um, as a, as a, as a, a practice, as a practitioner, a behavior consultant that, that handles cases, uh, day in and day out where you know dogs have behaved in threatening or or dangerous ways you know there are a number of factors that i that i look at um the three that come immediately to mind are you know if there has been an incident <clears throat> are you know what was the this the severity of the actual incident um how how significant was the 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 bite if there was a bite um, on what part of the body did it occur uh, you know on on the, the victim the human who was bitten um, and, and um, you know how many bites were there in most cases you know thankfully there's only the one and then that, that people call in um, however there may have been bites um, against other people prior you know not just the the, the one with the uh, with the child or the baby or the toddler um, and, and then we look at what was the environmental setup. We talked about that briefly, like what was happening when that happened before? And, and can we identify other situations that might have been similar that you noticed maybe other things in your dog that, that made you think like, oh, you know, yeah, he's not really comfortable when X or Y is occurring. Um, so for instance, some dogs get very uncomfortable if, if you're, you know, like right, you know, in their face, you know, or, or making, you know, direct con eye contact with them. Not all dogs, some dogs. Some dogs have sensitivities and sort of flinch away, or maybe they've growled in the past when, when people, you know, reach for them. Maybe their ears are sensitive. There's a number of sort of what we refer to as usual suspects, you know, <laughs> certain things that are typical triggers for dogs, you know, sort of across the board. And then the third thing we look at is, uh, so the first thing is the intensity of the bite. The third thing is like, can we identify triggers? Like your dog is not, in most cases, your dog is not seeking out your child, mm -hmm. running after him. Oh, I'm going to go find little Teddy and I'm going to bite him. You know, yeah. it's right. usually some sort of identifiable, you know, trigger. So, you know, as a behavior consultant, we look at the bite intensity. The second one we look at is the is the triggers. Can we identify what sets this dog off? If we can, we're in fairly good shape. If they're fuzzy, or there's just a bunch of stuff that sets that dog off, then we're not as in good shape. And then the third factor is the is the the human factor. You know, how much mental real estate do they have to take on an issue like this? New parents do not have a lot of time to train their dogs. It's just a fact, right? 
got a lot of stuff going on, trying to figure out this whole mom and dad thing, you know, and now I need to become sort of like a, you know, a part-time dog trainer on top of it all, you know, um, yes. doable, doable, but can be challenging. Right. So if we have a, just as an example, if we had really bad, hard bite, had to get stitches, going to get plastic surgery, probably still going to have a scar into adulthood, you know, yikes. Mm-hmm. Um, if the triggers are sort of like, I don't know, man, I mean, he just seems on edge every time the kid's in the room, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Yikes. Um, and by the way, you know, I don't have any time or attention to this. And my husband never really liked the dog anyway. Yikes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Those, those, those set us up for a really crummy prognosis. And there's other factors, you know, there's other factors that we look at in terms of prognosis as well, but those are the big three that come to mind for me. Okay. If I may, on the flip side, so if it's, you know, if it's the, the first time that the, my son pulled himself up on the sofa and the dog was right there and the dog growled and snarled, I snatched my son away. And then I thought that was all it was and it was okay. And then he did it, did it again. And then he's kind of got him on the cheek and it, it kind of left a red mark and there was some spit there. I don't know, maybe a little mark where I saw his tooth hit, you know, and that's the only time I've ever seen that happen. Otherwise my dog is really pretty chill um, and I'm all in you know, then your prognosis is going to be a little bit better. You know, right. we're going to be in better shape to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that you said that. I like, I like that you differentiated the families who feel that they have the bandwidth and the capacity to cope with the situation versus the ones that need to just have the honesty to say, I am so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know that I can do this because I think that at the end of the day, the ultimate success that the family has is based on what capacity they even have to make progress. Right. Um, So I really like that you made those two differentiations. There are people that will say, my dog was my first baby. I am keeping this dog. I'm going to make this work. I love that, you know, and I also highly respect the people who say, I don't know if I can do this because they're not setting themselves up to fail. And I, I just want to highlight that that takes guts and it takes, I don't know, a lot of gumption to say, you know what, I have to take care of myself because that's the only way that I can parent and raise my family and that that's not a failure, you know? So I do think it's worth noting because there is a lot of, you know, we talked about guilt earlier. There's a lot of people who feel that they can't forgive themselves if they rehome the dog or whatever, um, that they failed. And I, I don't necessarily think of it as a failure. If the dog is really uncomfortable around your children, then there's a very good chance your dog could live a really happy life in a family that didn't have any and that you're not failing your dog sure. by moving your dog to a better sure. environment. Yeah. 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 We, we kind of stumbled into to my bias a little bit there. And I don't disagree with anything you said. You know, my, my bias tends to be, um, I'll try to lay out information in, this, in a, as objective a way as I can. Um, but I actually don't make decisions for my clients. Mm-hmm. It's, always, it's always your decision. And, it, and it, may be, it may be a decision between crappy option one, crappy option B, and crappy option C. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, 
I have had, you know, um, thankfully, you know, in 22 years, I can still remember all of the behavior euthanasia decisions that my clients have, you know, have made. And, and I make myself available, of course, um, you know, to hear them out as they make that decision. But I've also been very clear to never, because you can't, right, make the decision for them. Um, right. And, and, but I will tell you, I will tell you this, and I, and, you know, and, and you, you may, I like that you mentioned, you know, the dog might be uh, happier and live a better life in another home. That's absolutely true. Um, I'll tell you what my bias is. I, you know, I, I recommend that folks as a first option, look to their family and friends. You know, um, I, I, I had a client, a client, literally, I only saw this client once. It was just so crystal clear. Um, it was a little dog. It was a newborn baby. The newborn baby had only been home a couple of days and the, the dog just made it very obvious that he did not like the idea of there being a newborn baby in the house. Like he would jump up on the sofa and like bark at the parent holding the baby, you know, at the baby though. Yeah. And they had a very, um, they had a very fortunate situation in that mom and dad lived in the same city and the dog just went to go live with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So they could still visit, visit their dog. And, um, and, and that was the, you know, that was the decision that they made, you know, there've been other, uh, you know, cases not involving children, one involving a child, but there were other cases, most of them not involving children, um, where, uh, the family did decide to, you know, to euthanize. And that is when I have conversations with clients about that, there's, there's a couple different ways that it goes. If, if they're just putting it out on the table and they're saying that, you know, they thought about it, but they don't really want to do it. And what do I think? Then I will um, ex help them explore other options um, mm -hmm. while they're exploring that option. Um, you know, again, I keep saying my bias, my bias, my bias. Um, when at all possible, my bias is to keep the dog in the home where they currently are, if that's possible. Um, especially when we're talking about euthanasia, because euthanasia is final. Like there is no undoing that, okay? Um, and, and so that's one option. So we look at all the options and then, and then if they've already made the decision and whether I agree with it or not, if they've already made the decision, it, it is my job to um, support my fellow human being. Um, if, if, you've, if you've made a decision that is so, um, has such weight to it, um, I just trust that my client has already gone through the options and, and made what they think is the right decision for for their own family. And there is no value at all in my trying to mansplain them out of it. <laughs> it's just not. And right. so why would I add additional pain to an already painful situation by, you know, by playing devil's advocate, you know? Right. Um, it just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem like a kind option. And honestly, in all of the cases that, that have ended with euthanasia, um, 
you know, I, I have not had, you know, serious disagreement about really any of them. Um, you know, one of them, one of them was like, you know, I literally showed up at an appointment for a second meeting with my client. There were no children in the household. I rang the doorbell. The woman answered the door. She was bleeding and crying. Oh. And her dog was barricaded behind a door. Oh. That's and her horrible. husband. And her husband was on the way home. Like she had literally had to take a nightstand and like block the dog and crawl out of the room and shut the door. That's a horrible way to live. It was horrible. Yeah, it was terrible. And her husband was on the way home and I, I drove the client to the urgent care and her husband took the dog to the veterinarian. Like that was a very clear one, right? That's very uh, most, of them, most of them are not, most of them are not so, you know, not so clear. Um, right. Most of them are very, lots and lots of subtle shades, you know, in between. I agree. Um, yeah. So I agree. Um, the only time that it's really come up for me in in a conversation with a client is when we feel that the dog is a ticking time bomb that something is going to happen. And if rehoming the dog means that that bomb will go off just somewhere else, then you're not fixing the problem. You're just forcing someone else to deal with it instead of you. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily a responsible thing to do. Um, but that said, it needs to be a pretty significant circumstance for that still to be on the table. Um, and most parents aren't in that circumstance. Um, most parents are faced with things that are uncomfortable and that scare them, but with the guidance of a very compassionate trainer like you, or I do consider myself to be really compassionate as well, that, that we can help them get through each day with mm -hmm. more confidence and less fear um, so that they don't feel like they're putting their kids at risk. Um, yeah. So I do think I, I so appreciate your experience in this because it, there are not a lot of people who specialize in dogs that have aggressive behaviors like you do um, and that handle it with such grace. So I am really grateful that you talked to me about all of this because I feel that anyone who listens to this will not come away feeling judged and will come away feeling empowered that management is awesome <laughs> you know that it's a great strategy to set us up so that we can breathe and then beyond that we can take our time and make other decisions and take other actions to help our dogs be successful yeah there's lots of elements to the training process you know regarding um it, you know um I, I think it was karen Pryor who said at a public event and this is literally what changed my 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 course uh, in, in you know from like i want to work with aggressive dogs um, you know, she, she said, or she wrote, you know, it's just behavior. It's just behavior, right? Whether a dog jumps up on you to greet you or steals something off the counter or bites your neighbor, those are just actions. They're just actions. And they play by the exact same rules of any other behavior. There's an element of the environment that, that either cues it or sets the dog up to perform that behavior, the behavior occurs. And then there's a function of the behavior. There's something that drives the dog to be like, oh, that worked for me. 
you know, and then, and then to keep doing it again. So if we know that it follows the same rules of behavior, then yeah, bring your, bring your behavior management to the table, bring your, you know, functional assessment to figure out what the, the drivers are, bring your differential reinforcement technical terms, teach the dog to do other stuff, mm -hmm. um, um, teach the dog how to relax, teach the dog that I'm safe. And when kids are around, it's good news for me. Yes. Right. Nobody's going to come pull my ear or ride me like a pony, oh. but, but chicken may fall from the sky. Yeah. You know? um, that's the, that's the hopeful part, you know, that, that we can actually influence, especially, um, you know, especially for a dog who kind of like, yeah, you know, not a really serious, you know, a, a, not a serious bite, you know, pretty clear what's going on here. Everyone's on board, ready to work on this. Then we can actually get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of good, uh, it's amazing to see an animal change. It's amazing to see a human change really mm -hmm. more than anything, but it's, but it's amazing to see a dog sort of like brighten up and go, Oh, yo, little Teddy, that's cool. He's doing all right over there. I'm going to hang out behind my gate, just watch you, but I'm okay with it now, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's hope, there's hope. Mm -hmm. There's always hope. We win more cases, you and I, than we lose. We do. We really do. We win mm -hmm. a lot. And, mm -hmm. and again, just huge kudos to the parents that are brave enough and asking for the support that they need. Because it's really easy to just suffer mm -hmm. in silence and reaching yeah. out yeah. has solutions. We will help you. Right. All right, Michael. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. your time. And next time we talk, it'll be over wine at a more appropriate wine o'clock hour so that we can get into more nitty gritty just for fun. Right, right. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. Mm, thank you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.